Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. There are times in our lives when everything comes to a screeching halt. Maybe it's an illness. It could be the loss of a loved one or a job. It may even be a pandemic. When life seems to have stopped, it could be that God has called a timeout. Just as a coach may call a timeout during a game to slow things down, to allow his team to rest, to assess the situation, To discuss a new strategy or to instill confidence, God sometimes calls a timeout for the same reason. Today, John looks at three timeouts that God called during the Apostle Paul's lifetime in his message, When God Calls a Timeout. I want to show you three examples in the life of the Apostle Paul. The first example, he wasn't even the Apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was not even saved when God called the first time out. But God called three major timeouts in this man's life. And each time God called a timeout, what was he doing? Well, these five things again, slowing things down, giving Paul a chance to rest, assessing the situation, discussing a new strategy, and instilling confidence in him going forward so that he could be a more effective servant of God. And each time that there was a timeout in Paul's life, after the timeout was over, Paul and everybody around Paul was better off than they had been before the timeout. And so today, timeout number one, two, and three. First of all, what was timeout number one all about? Timeout number one was to get Paul's attention. And I think that's what God's doing largely here. He is getting our attention. I hope we're giving him our attention. How foolish we would be not to give God our attention, especially when this drags on and on. Now, in the book of Acts, go to chapter number seven. I want us to look at this because Paul, his heart, he he thought he was being faithful to God. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, but he was indeed out of the will of God. And in fact, if you look in Acts chapter 7, towards the end of that chapter, we read about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen became the first martyr of the Christian church. He was stoned because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And as he was being stoned, in verse number 58, notice what this man became known as the Apostle Paul was doing. It said, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so here's Saul, before he gets saved, persecuting Christians, thinking he's doing God a favor to try to wipe out the spread of Christianity. And as they're stoning Stephen, they lay their coats down at Saul's feet. What was he doing? He was consenting to their death. Now look in chapter 8 because it gets even worse. Verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death, that is Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, now watch what this man was doing. He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And so Paul was going all through Jerusalem, finding Christians, going into their homes even, pulling them out of their homes, throwing them into prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's God doing while this was happening? God's watching. And God's thinking, Saul, your life is out of control. 
You think you're being such a good, faithful servant of mine when actually you're persecuting those who who know me in a personal way when as yet you don't even have the relationship with me. Now, go to chapter number nine because God now is about to call a timeout on this man's life. And I wish we had time to just read the first 20 verses of Acts chapter nine because here we read about the salvation experience of this man Saul on the Damascus road. And if you've not read this in a while, I would encourage you soon, take a little time, but I'll read some of the verses to you now. Look in verse number one. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so now he's going to another country. He's going to Syria. Damascus, Syria. We see it in the news sometime now. He's going there trying to find Christians to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be persecuted and maybe even killed. Verse 3, as he, came, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads was like a stick that ranchers would use to get their animals to move in a certain direction. Very sharp tip on the end. And what God was saying to Saul was, you're kicking against the goads. Here you are persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. Now you're going to Damascus, Syria to persecute more Christians. And yet deep in your heart, you don't even know what's wrong, but you know something's wrong. Your conscience is bothering you. And so you're kicking against the goads as it were. So what was God doing? God's calling a timeout on this man's life to slow things down. Verse six, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into this city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there. Now watch this, three days without sight. And during those three days, he neither ate nor drank. And if we read on, we would read that God now spoke to a man named Ananias who lived in Damascus, and said, Ananias, there's a man named Saul. He's on a particular street. Go to him. Tell him how to be saved. Ananias went to him. He told him how to be saved. Saul received Jesus Christ. The scales fell off of his eyes, and then he was baptized. And so what had God done on that Damascus road? You say, well, God struck him blind. Well, he did. You say, well, God slowed him down. Well, he did. You say, well, God got his attention. Well, he did. But I'll tell you what God did. He called a timeout. And he said, Saul, your life is completely out of control. And so I'm calling a timeout to get your attention so that you will focus on Jesus Christ. And when he did that, he was saved and his life was never the same. Could it be that God is calling a timeout on you to get your attention and to cause you to focus on Jesus Christ in a fresh new way. My dad mentioned that in the last few weeks, there have been several people and they have said, there's a decision I need to make for Jesus Christ. And I believe it was two weeks ago today, I got an email from, uh, from the church office and I got a name of a man named Neil. And Neil is 37 years old and he has visited our church 
And he was in one of the services just a few weeks ago when my dad was actually preaching. And at the end of my dad's sermon, he said, if you want to be saved, if you have any decision for Jesus Christ, go to the website, fbp.org slash connect. Tell us what the decision is. Or even if you just want to talk to a minister, somebody will call you today. Well, I had gotten that early in the day, and it's typical for me. I'm always going to put things off just a little bit. So on that night, I thought, it's 9, 9, 15. I'm going to call Neil and just tell him we're glad he came to church and see what his decision is. So I called him. And have you ever had, and I know, I know you have, but I've had this in my life. Sometimes you call a total stranger. Never met him, never seen him, have no idea who they are. And yet, you talk to them, you hit it off, and you feel like you've known this person all your life. Well, I had that connection with Neil. We talked probably 25 minutes on the phone that night. And, and uh, at the end of the conversation, I said, well, Neil, listen, it's getting a little bit later. And I said, I noticed that you went to our website today and you said you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Actually, what he said was he wanted to be baptized. And he said to me, he said, John, I want to be baptized, but with social distancing, I mean, it is true. You can't baptize somebody. That'd be a weird baptism. It was six feet between you. So you just about can't do it right now. He said, I want to get baptized whenever we can do that again. But as we were talking on, I said, well, Neil, we can handle that. That'd be no problem. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you have the complete and full assurance that you're saved? Or do you think that you need to get that settled in your heart before you get baptized? And he was quiet for a moment and he thought about it. And he said, well, he said, to be honest with you, I do think I'm saved. He said, but before I take that next step and get baptized, and he had told me many of the things he had gone through in his life, he said, to be honest with you, he said, I'm meeting with another Christian the next day. In fact, he was to meet with Bobby Grimes the next morning. I believe he said at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. He said, I'm meeting with Bobby in the morning at 10 or 11 o'clock. He said, but, and he said this to me. He said, John, I'm wondering, even though I'm going to meet with Bobby in the morning, would it be okay tonight while I'm on the phone with you if we prayed together and you helped me to know 100% sure that I'm saved? And that night, there I was in my house, and I said, absolutely. And I had the privilege over the phone of leading that man to pray a prayer where he said basically to Jesus, Lord, I think I'm saved, but I'm not 100% sure, and so I want to get it settled right now. If I'm saved, thank you, but if not, come into my heart. And you know what? When he prayed that prayer and got it settled, I could tell a peace came into his heart. And I texted Neil last night. I said, Neil, Tomorrow morning, can I tell your story in the sermon? And he said, absolutely, you can. So that's why I'm telling you his name and his age, because he has given me permission. And so there's one example of God calling a timeout on somebody. For what reason? To get their attention and to cause them to turn their minds to God in a fresh new way. That was timeout number one in, in, in Saul's life before he became the Apostle Paul. Timeout number two was a little bit different. This timeout, what was the purpose of timeout number two? It was to test Paul's faith. Now, turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. Go all the way from chapter number uh, 8, 9, where you are, and go to chapter 16, because in Acts chapter 16, we're finding that Paul is in a jail in a place called Philippi. And we've been there on a tour through the years and been able to go to this little, to this little place where Paul was, was imprisoned. And he had been imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 16, Beginning in verse 25, I want you to notice what happened. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, look back in verse 24, because I want you to get the feel of this setting that these guys were in. 24 says, having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, Paul is in the most farthest back part of this prison. It's dark. There are no windows. He can't see out. And now his feet, he and Silas, their feet have been put in shackles and he's bound in this prison. And yet at midnight, Paul and Silas are singing and praising hymns to God. And if we read the rest of that passage, we would see, we just did see part of it. It said the other prisoners were listening to them and they were thinking, what amazing faith. Here these guys are in prison for their faith in God. And instead of complaining and bellyaching and where's God and why God glad is, what are they doing? They're singing hymns to God. See, their faith, Paul and Silas's faith, got the attention of these other prisoners. And it especially got the attention of the guard, the jailer who was working in this prison. And look in verse number 30, what he said. It says, he brought them out. This is after an earthquake. God sent an earthquake, and then the doors of the prison opened up, but Paul and Silas stayed right where they were, and the jailer's watching this. He's amazed. Verse 30, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were in a terrible situation, and you responded with such faith, such praise in God, such dignity, such class, such perseverance, such graciousness, such kindness, you know, such confidence, such poise that somebody came up to you and said, something is going on in you. You've got something I don't have. You tell me what it is you have in your life that I don't have in my life. That's what this jailer was saying to Paul and Silas. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You've got something I don't have. There's no way that you could be where you are in those, in those chains, in the back part of this prison with such peace if you didn't have something I don't have, what must I do to have what you have? Look in verse 31. This is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That is, if your household believes, they can be saved too. But the way to get saved is by believing in Jesus Christ. So the point I'm making here is Paul and Silas, God called a time out. They're traveling all over this part of the world. They're in Greece now. And uh, they're sharing with people how to be saved. And they get to Philippi, and God calls a timeout. And now they're in prison. And Paul and Silas might have been tempted to think, well, why are we in prison? All we were trying to do is tell people how to be saved. And yet God knew if he put them in prison, they would have a greater opportunity to tell people how to be saved. This jailer got saved. His family got saved. And so they responded so appropriately and so rightly to the injustice they were going through and to the situation they were facing that it got other people's attention. And so what I'm saying to you today, hey, we're in a test right now. God is testing our faith. Here's the question. How are we going to respond? With anger? Some people, I've heard some people, they're just mad. I mean, I can't believe. Well, I mean, if, if your response to this is just anger, then that's not going to be a very good witness for God. But if your response is acceptance, if your attitude is God's in control, He has permitted it, He has a purpose well, that, that gets people's attention because they're like, well, you know something I don't know. So let me ask you, are you responding with anger or with acceptance? Are you responding to this what, that's going on in the world with frustration? I think many people are frustrated. I think most people are frustrated. Or are you responding with fortitude, saying God's in control? This is not just 
something that's happened. God's allowed it to happen. I've got a certain strength. Are you responding to this virus with fear? Many people have fear. I'm scared I'm going to get it. Scared somebody may close to me get it. Or do you have faith? Now, faith isn't foolishness. We do need to do what the doctors say. But still, faith says, I'm going to be okay. God's going to see me through this no matter what happens. And so, when God called a timeout on Paul this second time and Silas, it was to test their faith so that they could respond properly, other people could notice that, and other people would get saved. Now, turn to the very end of Acts. This is the third timeout. And this is the last timeout that I'm going to we're going to think about today. But in timeout number three, what was God doing? I'll tell you what God was doing. Timeout number three, God was getting ready to use Paul in greater ways, to use Paul in greater ways. Now, by the time we come to Acts chapter 28, Paul is in Rome. He had been arrested back in Jerusalem for his faith in Jesus. Now, in 16, he was uh, in Philippi, but he made his way back to Jerusalem, arrested for his faith in Jesus. He ends up in Rome. He is to appeal now, appear now before Caesar because of his faith. And while there, God called a timeout, and we find the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. That's a different type of prison. Look in verse 30. It says, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. So at this point in Rome, Paul is not in a jail cell like we would think of it. He's in a rented house, and it was probably paid for by other Christians living in Rome, but this was nonetheless his imprisonment. Look at what he was doing while he was in this, in this imprisonment. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And so Paul's in Rome. His desire is to tell everybody in Rome about Jesus so they could be saved, so they could experience the same forgiveness, second chance at life, new beginning, peace, hope, joy that he now has, and yet he's in prison. God called a timeout. But in that prison, people are coming to him to visit him. Jewish people, other people, and everyone who comes to visit Paul receives the gospel. He tells them how they might be saved. Now, I want you to try to get in Paul's mind as he's in that, as he's in that little rented house there in Rome. And maybe, I'm sure it was a small house. I don't know if he had a cot or what kind of bed he had. But let's just use our sanctified imagination and play like one night Paul's laying in that cot and... It's, it's dark, of course, it's late at night, and he can't sleep, and, and he's praying, and he said, God, after you saved me on that Damascus road and changed my life, all I wanted to do was spend the rest of my life telling other people how they could be saved. God, before I got saved, my conscience bothered me. I was kicking against the goads. I knew I wasn't doing right. I didn't have any peace. I was searching for peace, but I didn't have any peace. God, I was a mean, angry person. I was responsible for the death of many Christians. And yet, God, on that Damascus road, you called a timeout on me. You got my attention. And you sent that man named Ananias all the way to where I was on that street called Straight in Damascus here. And he told me about you and, and how you had died on that cross to forgive me, to give me a new beginning, that you, through the person of the Holy Spirit, could come live in my heart and, and, and change my life. And, Lord, you've done that. You've given me joy I never thought I would have, peace like a river. But, God, all I want to do is tell people how to be saved. Let's just play like this. Let's just play like Paul said. God, if you would get me out of this prison, God, if you would just let me get out of this rented house, there are about a million people living in Rome, and there were at the 
this time in history, there were about a million people living in Rome. And Paul said, God, maybe we could have a big revival. Maybe we could have a crusade. Or maybe I could just go door to door. But God, there are a million people living in Rome who need to hear about Jesus. And yet, God, I'm in this I'm in this house. I'm in this prison. I'm, I'm laying on this cot. God, I can't go to a million people if I'm, if I'm confined to this prison. God hears that prayer. God knows Paul's heart. And God says to Paul, Paul, I know how you feel. <laughs> I know how grateful you are to me for how I changed your life, forgave your sins, gave you a second chance, filled your heart with peace, joy, love. And, and Paul, I know that the desire of your heart would be to go to every person in Rome and tell them how they could be saved. And you're right, Paul. There are about a million people living here. And I know the desire of your heart is to tell all million people how to be saved. But Paul, keep in mind, in the past, every time I called a timeout on you, it was for your good and it was for other people's good. And so, Paul, I've called a timeout on you now because I've got something even better planned for you than preaching to a million people in Rome. Paul says, God, how could you have anything better than my sharing the gospel with a million people in the city of Rome? And God says, well, Paul, let me tell you what I've got planned. What I want you to do is to take some paper and to take a pen, and I'm going to put some things on your heart and in your mind. And when I do that, Paul, and I'm going to do that not all at once. I'm going to do it over the next few months because Paul probably spent about two years in this, what's called his first Roman imprisonment. And then he was arrested again. And that was his second Roman imprisonment where he was placed in what's called the maritime prison there back in Rome. He wrote 2 Timothy from his second Roman imprisonment. And as soon as he finished writing 2 Timothy... Uh, Historians tell us he was beheaded because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But this is not his second. This is his first Roman imprisonment. And God speaks to Paul in that, in that little rented house. And God says, Paul, if you'll write what I'll tell you to write, you're going to end up writing letters that will end up in the Bible. In the Bible? And Paul says, God, and he holds up his Old Testament. And he says, God, this is the Bible. What do you mean? I'm going to write something that's going to go in the Bible. And God says to Paul, Paul, what you're holding up is the Old Testament. But if you'll listen to what I say and if you'll write what I tell you to write, I'm counting on you to help me write part of the New Testament. And in that rented house, the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, I think about some of those verses in those books, and I think about how they've blessed my life. For example, in Ephesians 2.8, Paul wrote what God told him to write, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Paul, in one verse, is giving us the way to be saved, but he's giving it to us. He's writing it down while his life, was, they had a time out on it, and he's in his in rented house there in Rome. I think about when he wrote Philippians, so many verses in Philippians I love, but especially in that fourth chapter where Paul said, God told him to write it and Paul wrote, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then a few verses later, Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. You say, was Paul frustrated in that Roman? No, he wasn't frustrated. He was content. Then he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, what I'm saying is God called a timeout on Paul's life. And Paul thought, God, because I'm in this prison, 
I can't witness to a million people in Rome. And God said, no, you can't. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And those letters will one day end up in the Bible. And Paul, one of these days, there will be over a hundred million Bibles printed a year. Paul said, printed? And God would have said to Paul, Paul, I know this doesn't make sense to you now, but one of these days, not only will over a hundred million Bibles be printed a year, but there will be well over five billion Bibles in the world. And you, Paul, will do something far greater than preach to a million people in Rome in your lifetime. You will preach, you will write, you will minister to the entire world, not only of your day, but for the rest of time. You see, God called a timeout on Paul's life. Why? Because he was getting ready to use him in greater ways. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message and many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today. And we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.